Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now on with Monkey Tennis. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, this is the beauty of podcasting, the freedom of the medium. Go compa. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. Fireworks. Don't muck about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me. Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey tennis? From the Oast House. Keep it down, love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. There is no greater pleasure than just seeing a bum smile. Nick Alder. I'm just going to have to stop you there. I have to tell you, this is just a fake. And Tom Stab. I'm not eating tramp soup. So um, we are now going to be tackling the remainder of Alan's podcast series. Uh, and I am obviously your host. So we're coming live from the host house. Uh, <laughs> but we'll be covering Ooh, uh, yeah. we'll be covering Alan Partridge from the host house. Alan's first foray into podcasting. I mean, we've been at it for four years. What took him so long? <laughs> <laughs> Trailblazers here. Absolutely. Um, so the way that we're going to run this series is that two episodes of The Oast House will be covered in each episode of Monkey Tennis. So today we will primarily be looking at episode one, uh, subtitled Seldom, and we'll be looking as well at episode three, Dating. Uh, perhaps somebody would like to explain why we're omitting episode two, Ramble. Uh, I'm happy to cover that because essentially Ramble, episode two, was the... Uh audible preview that was available for a week we thought that was episode one turns out it's actually episode two uh, i go. think that pretty Con much covers it concisely put uh, but yeah obviously we've already done an episode about that so you can go back and listen at your leisure so episode one seldom uh do we want to do a little bit of uh world building about where alan is in the apu what he's up to i mean i guess throughout this series you find out a lot more of the detail about his life it's a lot more behind the scenes than something like mm. this time uh, which I always love. I love to get the narrative detail and the kind of the background of, I, of him and his cast of characters. Yeah, I think in terms of where he is in, in the APU, all we really know at this point in terms of if you're hitting play on it is that uh, the BBC show, so this time with Alan Partridge, has has finished um, and he's moved house from, I assume, Denton Abbey into the Oast House. But as you hit play, you, you don't have too much more context than that. And I feel like it would be a bit of a spoiler to start um, giving away the bits that reveal themselves throughout the series. So I feel like that's where you are when you hit play. 
Very true. I mean, I guess one thing that eagle-eyed uh, listeners and viewers, I suppose, of the track listing might notice is that episode one is called Seldom. Uh, those of you that have seen Scissor Isle, I believe, will know that that is the name of Alan's dog. Mm-hmm. So Seldom is still alive and well, and obviously you would then expect him to feature in this episode, and by God, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he's alive and well and very angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nick, Nick, is it fair to assume at this point that any episodes in this series that feature seldom are your favourites? Uh, yeah, I'll always be happy to hear a dog, be it naughty or angry, um, just being... Uh, <laughs> and this one's both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So any dog in the APU is good with me. Uh, so I was uh, I was somewhat blindsided by the opening of this episode, and I, I cycled mm. through a few different things of what I thought was going on. Uh, Initially, it sounds like Alan's making a genuine call to the emergency services. So that was my first thought. Um, Then it sounded to me like it was staged, but presumably the person on the other end of the line was an actor hired by Alan for the purposes of this. And then eventually it it transpires that what he's calling a harmless bit of fun was actually a genuine hoax call that he's made to the emergency services to to boost his podcast. What I also enjoyed was that even the prank call is fairly incompetent. He doesn't really know what he wants. It's not even by a, a, a prank call standard a very good one. I have to say, I did find it very jarring, the fact this is what technically is known as a cold open, isn't it? Because it's straight into the phone call. Like, when mm. I first pressed play, I was like, have I pressed play on on the wrong thing? Like, for, for just, like, half a second, you're like, what the hell is going on? Because you're getting police, what's your emergency, is the opening line of the whole series. I wonder if, in, in the APU, the reason he's done this is that he knows the popularity of true crime podcasts. And so when it comes to his own, he's like, oh, open, yeah. open it with a call to the emergency services. You've got them by the Jaffers. I'd also say I think this is one of the reasons why they probably didn't use this as the preview episode on Audible. Because I think if... Because do you know the way they were selling that in in terms of using your Alexa to access the episode? So I think if you're doing that and then the first thing is you hear police, what's your emergency? People are going to freak out. <laughs> I think that's actually a good yeah. point because I, I did think yeah. to myself, just episode one to episode two, so seldom one we're talking about now, um, is, is a stronger episode. So I was like wouldn't you play that one as your kind of, you know, marketing hook? But actually that makes a lot of sense when you put it like that, that people might be baffled that they phone the emergency services by mistake. Yeah, I mean, they could think that, yeah. And also episode two is a bit more world building like than this episode, than the first episode. So I wonder... I'd agree, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I do wonder if maybe what is episode two in the running order was originally going to be one at some point and then they changed their minds, I don't know. In essence, I'm sure we'll kind of get to this as we go through, but I think there are three reasons why episode two worked better than episode one to be episode one in terms of the first thing people heard. That makes loads of sense. One, you've got got a cold open and it's a police line, so it's going to confuse people. Two, as we'll get to, it's 11 minutes into the show before you get the actual theme song and title and proper intro to the programme. And three, I totally agree with you, Tom. I think episode two, Ramble, actually is a much better world building episode and is a more fitting introduction to the concept of the podcast i think absolutely and i mean in true alan style we've seen the similar thing uh, especially in the books that he's written he gets i think 10 and a half minutes into this episode before yep. he's even explained the concept of the episode now i mean when we did episode one of monkey tennis i think we spent five minutes explaining what we were going to do and i thought that was a bit overlong so 10 and a half minutes for him to get to the point is is very typical of alan um also the the crank call to the emergency services it's bad enough that he's made a hoax call, but it also is, is is only sort of very vaguely related to what he then goes on to talk about, namely that the reason he's done this podcast is because people who are going to jump off a bridge, abuse children and women all have helplines, but men who are attacked on Twitter, as he puts it, have no one. Uh, and so that's why he's, he's calling the emergency services to try and make the point that there's no emergency service for middle-aged public broadcasters that have been called a sissy a hundred times on Twitter. Um, and so if Effectively, this podcast, as he lays it out, is his opportunity to speak directly to critics and to silence naysayers and to sort of set the record straight because he feels like he's been slandered on social media. Um, Also, he clearly hasn't thought to use the blocker report functions on social media. Yeah, that is an option available to him. (laughs) Basically, the only reason he's doing this podcast, he says in this episode, is because obviously, as Adam says, people are sort of trolling him. It's to combat his like his sort of slights on his person and his personal brand as well it's all from a um from a a viewpoint of trying to get work from from other sources that you know he's getting people slandering his brand so for example two of the rumors that he addresses at the beginning are that he's been seen in aldi and argos 
Which are br- uh, which are Al- not Al- brand Al- partridge. Asda, sorry, Asda. Yeah, both, both both places that he absolutely would go, but crucially would not want to have yeah. been recognised in. Yeah. Um, yeah, he describes those as hurtful and damaging. I also liked that he uh, sort of put himself in the same bracket in terms of celebrities who've been targeted as John Lennon, who obviously was shot and killed, Gianni Versace, who was shot and killed, and John Prescott, who was hit with an egg. <laughs> oh, I love that line, when he got egged and then battered the Burke. Amazing. <laughs> oh, and another accusation that I really liked because I, I, it paid, pays a lot of attention to past Partridge is not just that he's been seen in Asda and Argos, but also that he was uh, in the local swimming baths doing whips, which, as we know from watching Alan swim, yes. he is a weak swimmer. Yeah. And so yes. probably, and I, I believe maybe later in this episode or certainly later in the series, there's a reason that he's been training himself up to be a stronger swimmer. Um, so, yeah, that's quite good. Yeah, I, I do love the the through line of Alan's obsession with swimming in this Gibbons era of the APU because everything we actually see and hear of this love of swimming would indicate he's actually no good at swimming at all. So that is... <laughs> Always a fun gag. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of other uh, online rumours and uh, hurtful things that have been said about him, that he's been seen bowling underarm, which is obviously mm-hmm. scandalous. Uh, and I really enjoyed the the last example he comes into, that uh, his wing mirror clipped another car, which he uh, has been described as definitive proof that Alan Partridge doesn't know the width of his vehicle. I really enjoyed the payoff there that, you know, you think it might be about because he he's a... Sec- effectively done a hit and run on a vehicle or it's about dangerous driving but no it's about knowing the width of his car that's what's hurt him about that that he doesn't know his vehicle properly i believe him that he, that he probably does that he does know the width of his vehicle i believe he's the sort of person that that, that would have sh- yeah would may would either know it or or would would hate himself for having not found yeah, out yet i'm i'm pretty mm, confident mm. he knows the dimensions of his vehicle isn't he i also <laughs> i enjoyed that he, he he undoes his own argument by admitting that he's taken pleasure from defaming people um, himself and amending Wikipedia pages. It's like... That's yeah. a really good point. Um, Within like three and a half minutes in, he's basically admitted to being an online media troll at the same time. Has, yeah. did, it, did anyone <laughs> jot down uh, some of the rumours that he started? Because they're absolutely brilliant. Uh, uh, I've, I've got I've got the list yeah, if you want it. There are four big ones. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, Trevor McDonald has knits. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Brian Ferry can't ride a bike. <laughs> John Humphreys hung a rabbit from a tree, and Fiona Bruce doesn't brush her teeth. I love these because partly because I think it's just the play between kind of older, so respected broadcasters and musicians, and then the rumours mm. are literally things you would make up when you were like six in the playground, wouldn't you? Like he's yes. got this, he yeah. can't ride a bike, she doesn't brush her teeth, like. Well, yeah, and also, you're right, that's that's bang on. Yeah, they're so trivial. And let's face it, at one point, I'm sure all of us have had nits. I'm sure at one point we all <laughs> couldn't ride a bike, possibly with the exception of hanging a rabbit from a tree, which has a darker tone to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also uh, I... have uh, just before then the the first mention of high noon. The uh, it, yes. th- there's there's not a huge amount of narrative uh, through line through the whole podcast. You probably say that high noon is the main one. Yeah, he's essentially yes. he or she is yeah. essentially a new character in in the APU, really. But yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Tom. That's probably the only the only narrative thread where you think that there's perhaps a conclusion that the series is leading to. But I think we should probably try not to get too far ahead in terms of nope. spoilers and what yep. happens in the other seventeen. Um, so we'll did get to uh, that. did everyone check the Twitter handle at High Noon? Yep, couldn't find yes. it. Disappointing results. <laughs> Oh, I mean, there there is one, but it's there, there's nothing kind of fun to be gleaned from it, from what I could see. It looks like a it looks like a uh, like a Red a, Dead Redemption thing. Yeah, like a handheld iOS Android game, which I'm surprised they chose a handle where there was obviously something there that they couldn't secure and put some stuff on, even mm. if it was just a empty profile with an egg. Like it would have, uh, I don't know. Yeah, would, I mean, it's would, it's because like people yeah. are obviously going to go and check it, aren't they? Hmm. It's I a- mean, we are. Yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah, everyone does that, right? <laughs> but no, it, it's a good point, because if you look at when we were doing research into this time and we found a lot of the tweets that they used on the DigiWall were actually real tweets. I mean, Yeah, it's, sort just, of posted it's, by, it's quite a surprise they haven't gone into that depth. Of posted by yeah. production staff and things, weren't they, when we looked into it? Um, I was going to say about the rumours, uh, I don't know, did anybody fact-check these at all? <laughs> no. Whether Fiona Bruce brushes her teeth? 
<laughs> well, I, I just went with the one that actually I could fact check, which was uh, whether Brian Ferry can ride a bike or not. And I'm pleased to confirm that not only can Brian Ferry ride a bike, but I found an interview from 2005 where he talks about being 15 and dreaming of being a Tour de France champion. Sadly, though, my follow-up Google image search of Brian Ferry on a bike yielded no fruitful results. For a second, and I thought you were going to say, not only can Brian Ferry ride a bike, but Brian Ferry He's has ridden a bike. <laughs> um, so uh, Alan explains, yeah. he does a bit of explanation why he's addressing uh, these these rumours in podcast form. I feel like this is also a little bit the writers explaining kind of why would Alan be doing what he's doing? Why would he be doing a podcast at this stage in his career? Um, he says he can't do it on the BBC because there's too many producers, too much compliance uh, issues involved. He can't do it on North Norfolk Digital because he's left under a bit of a cloud. Uh, and there's, there's a great bit of fun here because he clearly wants to elaborate, give his side of the story. But I'm yeah. guessing he's been given legal advice. So he just sort of says, you know, I left under a bit of a cloud. But there are different types of clouds. A cloud doesn't get shoved for no reason. Uh, and I thought at this point, he's clearly going to elaborate anyway at some point. No, a question on interpretation there. When he says a cloud doesn't get shoved for no reason, is that somebody being shoved out of a company or is that Alan has shoved somebody in, like, the station or something? Alan has shoved somebody. I believe it's... Ref- That's what it, I take it, it, it to it's be, referred yeah. to again later on. I think, basically, he has an altercation with a uh, okay. producer, I think, and pushes them, and then that's where the, the hot water comes from. He does push... And he does push sidekick Simon, remember, in... Um, yeah, in the urinal. Matters. No, 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 no. He, he, he physically pushes him. Yeah. And he pushes him in your, your rhino. You, you're quite right. Yeah. But he does push him in uh, mid-morning matters. He is a bit of a shover. Uh, but I think the thing about the, the radio producer, I think that joke is about basically a radio producer has an argument with him and then has a, has a massive heart attack. I think that was the joke there. Right, okay. So when he says, radio producers who scream in my face and then grab their arm and then sit down on a chair and everybody gathers around them. Um, so I don't, I don't think that's a shoving. Oh, right, okay. I thought he'd shoved him and then he had the heart attack, but maybe not. I mean, it could be that. Um, did you guys also notice that, that I, I kind of made a note that he he's basically talking about leaving under a bit of a cloud, which means he's left North Norfolk Digital, North Norfolk's best music mix. Does that mean that Mid-Morning Matters Series 3 could not and will not happen? Uh, I su- Something to think about. I suppose, <laughs> yeah, I suppose it won't. I mean, I guess in terms of in terms of the writers and Coogan, I'm not sure that they would return to that now because it feels like they've gone too far beyond it. They've kind of done what, it, I guess. There's been a book and a TV mm. series and now a podcast since that happened. So, yeah, I think it's a shame because I, I think that's some of some of his best work. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe they've, maybe they've, you know, it's quite a limiting format, isn't it, Mid-Morning Matters? There's only so much mm. you can do within the walls of a radio studio. Maybe they feel like they've done everything they can. Um, so we cut to, I mean, I don't know if this is really a segment or a new regular feature or an advert. Um, I mean, it seems to exist mainly for the title alone, which is Homes and What's On. <laughs> which I you know what, you're right, that's a classic. That is classic. They've come up with a pun and then worked it backwards, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, effectively, this is like a kind of a sort of what's on guide to the Norfolk area. But I mean, it's it's kind of something and nothing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. but, it's, but it's only two things. Um, forged in fire, middle-aged men getting together to make swords because they're lonely. And Fob and Firkin, is that it? Uh, the debut gig by Tony Meber, the son of late uh, voiceover John artist Meber. John Meber. Um, did you guys recognise that name? I did, but I couldn't place it. I googled it to see if it was real. I, there was something, but I couldn't place no, it. No, it, it, it's somebody who exists in the APU. He has been mentioned before, uh, mentioned in Nomad. Uh, a friend. So this is direct quote from Nomad. Friend and voiceover artiste John Meber would love to walk anywhere, let alone to Dungeness, but a recent car crash, from which I'm afraid John was entirely to blame, has put pay to his spine. John now lives in a wheelchair. <laughs> oh, excellent cross-checking there. Yeah. Yeah, again, that's the thing. The name really rung a bell and it. It took me a while to figure out where it was from, yeah. Uh, so at this point, I think Seldom enters the scene, a uh, bit of barking. Um, and then uh, Alan is talking about some of the corporate films that he's been known for, where he, he's listing all the mediums that he's tackled before in the context that the podcast is a medium he's yet to tackle. Uh, I really enjoyed... They've done this joke before with, with different titles, but I really enjoyed when they reveal the titles of his corporate <laughs> films that he's done. Yeah. So uh, Be the Best Fire Warden was one building to the ultimate punchline, which is... I can't remember how he describes it, but I think he says it's the groundbreaking, so you say you've been sexually harassed. <laughs> which the wording of it is just so smart in terms of that you can tell that he's presenting this video from the point of view of a skeptic that doesn't believe doesn't believe the accuser um, which is which is a awful and b absolutely up alan street 
I feel like yeah, in nineteen like in nineteen ninety, the video was called "So You Say You've Been Sexually Harassed," and in twenty twenty, it's just "You've Been Sexually Harassed." Yeah, it's also not not just that the phrasing of that sentence implies that it's not to be believed, but also it's sort of a kind of light entertainment. You know, it's like "So You Think You Can Dance," yes, yes, <laughs> you know, but, yeah. "So You Say You've Been So You Say You've Been Sexually Harassed." Um, he also did the voice of the Satnav for Superbest Taiwanese tech giants, uh, which I did, didn't know before and enjoy. I mean, that's absolutely the sort of corporate work you'd expect him to do. I really enjoyed the kind of subtlety of, of the joke here where, you know, they kind of have the phrases like, you know, keep left or turn right in 100 yards or the get in lane. The kind of like through gritted teeth that uh, <laughs> thought was a nice like, kind of subtle joke. I think my other little favourite job of his was uh, being the voice in the lift in Great Yarmouth Town Hall as well. I thought that was quite fun. So so specific. Yeah. <laughs> who does a who does a voice recording for just one lift? <laughs> Alan. <laughs> Alan. Yeah. Oh, actually, there, there was um, in the Royal Festival Hall in London. They had a voice recording of the band Gaggle. Uh, so as the lift went up, like a choral kind of chant got louder, and when the lift came down, it got quieter. So terrifying. Not quite the same thing. <laughs> But, uh, That's good. Um, I was going to say, can, can we just uh, talk about Alan as a satnav voice for a minute? Because I would definitely enjoy a satnav in Alan's voice. Uh, and I looked into, are you guys aware there are, there are quite a lot of genuine celebrities that have done voice recordings for satnavs? Um, so Tom Tom has the following ones available: Brian Blessed, amazing; Billy Connolly, Burt Reynolds, Kim Cattrall, Mr. T, Roger Moore, <laughs> John Cleese. Uh, I also found some other celebs or characters that have done satnav voiceovers: Darth Vader, Victor Meldrew, which would be amazing; uh, Eddie Izzard, and I think Snoop Dogg as well. Quite. Fast. I've uh, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the Snoop Dogg satnav on a trip to America before. Our hire car, I discovered with delight, had both Homer Simpson and Snoop Dogg as options. <laughs> Well, if Snoop Dogg's doing the voiceover, it definitely would be a higher car. Smoke weed every day. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> sweet lord! Now I also found. Um, so get ready for a short game here. Um, there are celebrity impressions available for the Garmin Satnav system. <laughs> uh, now I have to say, I found this afternoon. They are awful. Uh, there's a great disclaimer <laughs> on the website that says all voices are impressions and celebrity names are used for description purposes only. So <laughs> can we see if you can guess the celebrity voice? Great. Nice. Love it. All right. Brilliant. Then, so I'm going to I'm going to play these out on my phone. So you, so you not screen share so you can't see. OK, so just uh, shout out the name when you think you've got it. Then half a mile arrive at destination. It's Alan Rickman, isn't it? It's Alan Rickman. Oh, wow. Well, barely uh-huh. Alan Rickman. Uh, I mean, to be fair, these days you would know that was an impression. Ahead, turn right, then arrive at destination. How the fuck did you manage that? Is that Ozzy Osbourne? That's supposed, that's supposed to be Ozzy Osbourne. Um, wow. Okay, Sharon, next one. you've missed a turn. to the highlighted route. Okay, let's see if you really can drive. In oh, it's Morgan Freeman. It's allegedly Morgan Freeman. That is, uh, I don't know how you got that. Couple more to go, and these get worse as well. <laughs> uh, okay. Proceed to the highlighted route. Liam Neeson. Oh, Liam Neeson. And I will kill you. Turn left, <laughs> then board ferry. I think the reason a lot of these work is because they have to put in their famous character yeah. line so you can understand who they are. Right, this one is mental. Proceed. To the oh, it, that's uh, John Voight. No, not John Voight. Um, oh, what's it? Your dad's watch. Your Christopher Walken. Walken. Nicholas Cage. Christopher Walken. Nicholas Cage. Christopher Walken. Yep, yep. Oh. Uh, right, we're nearly there. A couple more. <laughs> to be honest, if I had to listen to that, I'd rather be Christopher Walken. <laughs> um, <laughs> Here all night. This one is ridiculous as well. Keep left, then make a U-turn. You can't handle this car. <laughs> is it supposed to be Tom Cruise? No, Jack Nicholson. No, Jack Nicholson from A yeah, Few wow. Good Men. Uh, uh, we've got... Right, we're going to do three more. Okay. Hey, big boy, let's fucking drive, yes? In oh, Ramsey, Gordon Ramsey. Yeah. Turn right, then arrive at destination. <laughs> now get in that kitchen, yes? That is so bad, isn't it? <laughs> right, two more. Shit, do you? Oh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Connery. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. Uh, and then my own personal favourite. 
Proceed to the highlighted route. Oh, it's um, it's a Boise from the horses. Boise. For God's sake, we're here all day. If you'd taken like a wrong turn or something, you'd get really frustrated by that, wouldn't you? Uh, Yeah. I would say generously, they were getting about one in every five words in character. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And I. (laughs) Oh, this is brilliant. Um, It did make me think, though, they could quite easily do a cash in and actually do an Alan Satnav voice, but I'm sure for quality control purposes, Coogan might do that. I I also think think they're already drenched in audible cash. It's fine. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, they are. However, there must be enough Coogan audio of Alan out there that we could create some sat-nav direction. So I'm probably going to regret this, but I'm going to set myself the mission of trying to make some sat-nav style directions before this episode goes out. So we'll drop the results in at the end of the episode. I can't wait for there to just be a little voice note from you going, I said I'd put some directions in. I haven't done that. (laughs) Well, I've always got that as a backup. Um, So just back to the podcast. Alan talks a little bit about why he'd been resistant to podcasts in the back. Uh, A clip, I'm sure... The four of us particularly enjoyed where he basically talks down podcasters as, uh, what is it, people that live with their mums, spouting their bloated opinions into their USB microphones with a sense of their own self-importance, which is entirely accurate. Yeah, that that script was basically lifted wholesale for the, uh, for the social clip that we shared um, a couple of weeks ago where Alan's sitting in an um, armchair and he basically regales mm. that exact same line. Um, he also says, and a li- I was a little bit disappointed, I'm not going to lie, when he dropped this little nugget, when he said uh, there would be no guests. I was slightly disappointed that I- at that point I thought, I don't think we're going to hear Lynn, I don't think we're going to hear um, any other sort of supporting characters. I mean, there, are, there you know, obviously, we not to jump ahead, there is a supporting character which kind of jumps in every now and then and, and random guest Seldom. spots. but. Uh, no, 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 the cleaner. But um, <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I was a little bit disappointed because I, I I thought at that point oh, we're not going to get any sort of proper Alan uh, alumni appear in the show. I was just going to say, Adam. I think the key line that we needed from that uh, podcast debating se- uh, sequence is uh, people who hosted podcasts were pale, tech obsessed social lepers who live with their mums. Uh, I did spot though. It's a bit bit weird, and I don't think it probably means anything, but. The bit, the line about with their mums, that bit was on the the kind of PR version that we've seen, but that is not in the script of this episode. Oh. So they've edited uh, the mum bashing, oh, as it were. Okay. Um, <laughs> I notice at this point he's halfway through the first episode. He's still establishing the format, explaining his choices. Um, he says that people that don't like this or prefer him on TV or prefer his early stuff are just unhappy people. Uh, I feel like this is one of the areas where perhaps Steve Coogan and Alan Partridge dovetail a little bit. I can imagine Steve saying exactly the same thing of people that prefer Alan on TV. Um, he also says uh, Alan's quite sort of rankled about people giving him their opinions when he's at airports. And I thought in the APU, I doubt that Alan actually uses airports very often, but I bet that's something that happens to Steve Coogan all the time. Uh, I think it's absolutely that. And I, I love this kind of writing where there's the the kind of wonderful dual layer to it. Because like you say, this is essentially Coogan and the Gibbons speaking back to critics and fan complaints, but doing it via the character of Alan. So it works on the face value of Alan responding to trolls and critics in the APU, but also Coogan and the Gibbons speaking to real life criticism. Uh, and we've seen him do this in response to Alpha Papa negativity in the books, particularly responding to fan base reaction to his hair in that film. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm sure, sh- I'm sure there's a proper like script writing literary term for the device to explain it a bit more neatly, kind of like using characters as a mouthpiece. I found, I found this word uh, ranisseur, where, which is defined as a person in a play or a book embodying an author's viewpoint. So that's the closest I've got to it. But yeah, I think the Gibbons and Coogan do this a lot. And I think it's always a lot of fun when you can kind of see the the two planes in which it works. Yeah, it's good value, isn't it? Um, was anyone surprised to hear that Alan hands out soup to the needy at Christmas? And do we believe him? <laughs> yeah, I that was sus- going to be my follow-up question. <laughs> I suspected it was a cover story because the reality is I do believe that he spends Christmas alone, but I think the soup angle is a cover story for the fact that he doesn't have anyone to spend Christmas with rather than it being, you know, a, a choice that he chooses to give to uh, the needy at Christmas. Yeah, and, and I guess he might as well say that because who could prove him wrong? <laughs> that, that's basically the, the tagline for all Partridge, right? 
<laughs> I, I did think that this point where he describes himself as a fiercely private man, I thought, well, one, is he really, when you consider he's done things like had a mock-up version of his house televised? Um, but his his reasoning, his evidence for being a private man is because he spent 11 Christmases alone. But I think you go back and go, well, one, that's not by choice. And two, that's not being private. That's just being lonely. It's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely that. <laughs> uh, so he says that he, he hands up the suit because there's no greater pleasure than seeing a bum smile. And then he has a little chuckle to himself as he imagines what that might sound like to the listener. Toothy grin. <laughs> Um, so back to seldom, we discover that Alan is recording from the uh, Oast House, not just because it's the title of the show, but because he's physically trapped there by 250 pound brown dog seldom, uh, who literally, as Alan says, puts the dog into documentary. Uh, 250 pounds is 18 stone. I don't think seldom <laughs> is 18 stone. <laughs> I mean, he, he does describe him as huge and equivalent to one and a half men. So oh, at least yeah, that stacks that up. Um, he also says that he has to take crampons out to walk him. I thought, actually, Tom Dark, you're the uh, you're the proprietor of a very large dog. Do you ever need crampons to uh, take him walking? Not personally, but I could see scenarios where that could be required. So, yeah, that does, that does seem quite mm. possible, especially if the dog is 18 Get- stone. Getting him up a slippery hill, for <laughs> I example. Enjoy- <laughs> I enjoyed the term on the warpath was used in relation to Selden <laughs> and the fact that Alan can't be any more specific than calling him a brown dog, which makes me question how good a dog owner he actually is. I might be hearing things as well here, but I kind of enjoyed that the dog barks don't sound anything better than like a BBC library tape from 1980. I'd, I'd absolutely agree. I think in different scenes, the, the dog barks don't match up to be the same dog, do they? Yeah. Uh, I've, so I've, we, we, I've just 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 to jump in quickly. I have I have gone live to Google to find out what the record is for the world heaviest dog. Uh, <laughs> Great research. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pleased to report that an English mastiff named Kelly uh, was uh, weighed uh, at 294 pounds, which is 21 stone. So it what? is feasible that seldom is 18 wow. stone. Uh, the English mastiff was taller than a Shetland pony and more than six feet long. So it, it's possible. So, so the breed, uh, yeah. So, the, so seldom as a breed is a dog de Bordeaux, also known as a Bordeaux Mastiff or a French Mastiff, and they are known to have a, they are known to be a very powerful dog with a very muscular body. So it it does all add up. Maybe it could. Um, yeah. But but uh, I mean, are you guys? I think we talked about this very briefly covering Scissor Isle uh, in the fact uh, seldom is a dog de Bordeaux. So that was the breed quite famously featured in Turner and Hooch. Uh, if you may remember that film. But uh, I'm pleased to report I found a website called realdogs.com, which gives a breakdown of all different breeds and their cinema uh, c- <laughs> and their cinematic appearances, I should say. So um, you've also seen a dog de Bordeaux in Payback, the uh, Mel Gibson film noir from 1999. Which is I haven't film. seen it in the film Payback because I haven't seen the film <laughs> Payback. <laughs> you should watch it. It's a great film. Um, but I enjoyed the way this website works is they basically give a star rating to the amount of uh, screen time that the dog breed gets. So Turner and Hooch gets a Bordeaux content three, uh, whereas uh, there are two other films. There's a film called Dragonheart from 1996. Oh, great film. Uh, where it says there's the only ball. a glimpse only a glimpse of a Bordeaux so that gets a Bordeaux content star rating of one <laughs> and a film for a film from 1991 called Eyes of an Angel uh, starring John Travolta uh, it says the starring dog is a Doberman the Bordeaux plays a fighting dog so that gets a Bordeaux content one star as well this sounds very similar uh, to a film rating system I devised uh, where you apply Eddie Murphy heads to a film yes because the more characters Eddie Murphy plays in a film the worse that film is so yes. one Eddie Murphy head is a very good film ten Eddie Murphy heads is Norbit do not watch yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's an altercation with a postman and seldom at this point uh, which Alan blames on the postman because he's eating a sandwich despite Alan putting up a no sandwich sign uh, the idea of Alan posting up a no sandwich sign did tickle me a little bit um, and uh, yeah I, I didn't have a huge amount else on that other than uh, for some reason I've just written Alan has an intercom <laughs> that seemed important at the yeah. time <laughs> Um, like choristers, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Um, the the bit that really tickled me was this: that uh, when Alan says, "Seldom didn't attack him, but he did manage to pull his trousers off." I just wrote down, <laughs> "Lol." <laughs> the theatre of the mind doing its work. I just found yeah. that a really amusing image. Um, did and anybody? Sorry, go on. No, no, you go, you go. 
Uh, did anybody notice um, the the fun way that he mangles the name of popular <laughs> sitcom Are You Being Served? Yes. Hello. Yeah. Yes. Really Are you being it. served? Are you being served? Are you being <laughs> served? <laughs> That's so I, I so I had noticed in this too, and I was like, I'm not just being mad. Like he's definitely he's getting the intonation wrong each time. He yeah. stresses the wrong word. So the first time he stresses being, the second time he stresses you. Yeah. But it's so subtle, and I don't really. There isn't like a really a payoff or a target to it. Is it just because he hasn't actually seen? No, it? it's it's just the it's just the joke of it being always different yeah. but never correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, no, but he's doing it from the point of view of it's it's a weird like such a niche like situation where someone would deliver that sentence that way. That yeah, it, that's what made it make, makes it so good. I I listen to it about three or four times in a row, and it makes me laugh every single time. I think you could, I think you could overthink it because you could, it could suggest that he hasn't seen the show or, you know, he's talking about something that he doesn't really know. Hence, he's getting the pronunciation a bit wrong because everyone would pronounce it differently. But I think it's really just, it sounds funny to to mispronounce it and that that is the joke. Well, I I think Adam's nailed it, that it, that it's, it's wrong every time, but it's also different every time. Yeah. Um, so we get a little bit more flavour now about the nature of the Oast House and how he's ended up there. I mean, it, effectively, I think this episode is quite largely world building. The first half mm. is explaining why he's doing a podcast and the second half is explaining why it's from the Oast House. Um, so Denton Abbey, we learn, has seven bedrooms and the mortgage was crippling him. Uh, that, Darryl... That's not the first time he's been crippled by a mortgage, right? No, no we've heard no, that he, before. <laughs> that he, uh, yeah, Alan says that in in Scissor Dial. He says that even though the mortgage of Denton Abbey is crippling him, it's his house, and there's nothing anyone can do about it to take it off his yeah. hands. Something to that effect. So that, I quite like I quite like that. Then, so a few years ago, he's laying out that it is crippling him, and a bit further down the line, it has crippled him. And <laughs> yeah. He's had to move out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, he's been forced into a smaller home, which is quite surprising to me because when I saw the artwork for from the Oast House, I actually thought it looked like it had a higher property value than Denton Abbey, yep. but I, I guess not. Mm. Um, he says Daryl Flench and his friend attended the mortgage meeting. Is there any significance to Daryl Flench? I felt like that's the first time I've heard that name. No, Daryl Flench I... is in this time with Alan Partridge. It's the episode where Alan is a vegetarian and there's a cut yes. scene where he uh... goes for lunch with some businessmen and he has chunky chips, Jenga style, uh, and meat-free lilt. And that is basically a meeting oh. with Daryl Flench. Oh, fantastic. Um, I didn't get notes on that. I just know that. Nick, uh, can I just say, well, well done. Yeah, no, didn't even have notes. I just I just remembered that from this time. <laughs> um, we learned that it's not even a real Oast house. Uh, it's a replica, which means that he could only legally describe it as an Oast-style house, um, which is fun. Um, and there's quite a long bit about his fight with his pals at the racket club about what they all get to call their houses. They're all fighting for the best name. You know, we talked about the fact that Oast Houses aren't... Uh, was it that they're only found in Kent? They're, and they're traditionally not found, found in, Norfolk? in Kent, yeah. Well, they're, called, yeah. they're called something different in Norfolk. That's that's the thing, isn't it? They're like kiln, that's kiln houses think- or something. Yeah, but that's what I was thinking as well. Does that also tie in... That's quite a nice, neat explainer in terms of it isn't a real Oast House because they don't exist in Norfolk, which is why it has yeah. to be Oast style. Mm. Oh, OK, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Um, we get an advert at this point for Fish Palace in Cromer. Can anyone remember their unique selling point for this ad? Uh, an attempt to modernise and keep up with the times. If you're trying a vegan diet and find it hard to know what to eat, why not consider chips? <laughs> <laughs> I do so, yeah. enjoy that they're uh, experimenting with a vegan gravy as well. <laughs> not we have a vegan yeah. gravy, our experimental vegan gravy. <laughs> I did look into if a Fish Palace existed in Cromer. Sadly not, but... Uh, TripAdvisor, Alan's favourite site, does tell me that upstairs at number one, Cromer has the best fish and chips in that town. So if you're in the area, why not give it a try? I just had to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We get a little insight into, um, well, kind of into the next episode in a way. Uh, We learn that Alan is dating. Mm. Uh, He's meeting his date at 11 for brunch because she refused dinner uh, and suggested brunch followed by swimming, which I thought tied nicely back to uh, the accusation from high noon that he'd been at the local swimming bath doing whips, presumably practising for this date. Also, I thought, what a weird date. Who would want to eat a brunch and then go swimming? I would not be keen on that. Yeah, that immediately screams oddball to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I wondered perhaps if Nick might like to talk about the food delivery system that Alan employs to oh. uh, to try and uh, take Seldom uh, from the warpath. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, he uses Rivita as a delivery system, um, which he slides under a door where he's planed off the bottom um, to a, give... A centimetre. A centimetre off the door to give <laughs> uh, seldom bits of meat. Now, my observations were the following when he said this. 
it sounds like one, he can't be in the same room as seldom. Two, if the dog is 18 stone, little bits of meat on a Rivita pushed under a door are going to take all day to feed a dog like that. <laughs> Plus, how much Rivita must he get through? Because the ingress from Seldom's chops means that the matrix system fails very quickly. So he's also caning the Rivita. Uh, I think all of this just paints the picture that Seldom is out of control, but largely because Alan isn't controlling him because he's not a very good owner of dogs. Was there, did anyone else sort of feel there's a parallel here between the Alan Seldon relationship and the Jim Wilson relationship from Friday Night Dinner? And <laughs> effectively, oh, yes, effectively yeah. a, a middle aged man intimidated by a dog of his own choosing that has become too powerful to control. <laughs> yeah, I think the only difference here is that Wilson is basically at best. Uh, passive and seldom is way more aggressive in this situation Wilson doesn't actually do anything to sort of <laughs> aggravate yeah. scare or like harm Jim just stands there I, I did I did just love what Alan says about the meat delivery system as well that he uses it to modify subdue calm or quell a big cross dog <laughs> um, I mean that brings us roughly to the end of the first episode um, how did everybody feel at the end of this one good to have Alan back a, a nice insight into his private life or a bit waffly and uh, not particularly precise I thought this was a very strong opener personally so it's Agreed. I mean it, it runs fairly like similarly in terms of uh, the running order and I do think it it sets it up nicely and it's almost like you know when you read a book and you kind of have a note from the author before you get into the actual kind of story it felt very much like the kind of the scene setter and it's Alan kind of addressing you personally before it gets into kind of the main thrust of it and even as though we find out the main thrust isn't exactly heavy on the narrative uh, I thought it was a nice kind of setup and I thought the, the gags were consistent and the gags were very funny. Uh, are we all, uh, were we all shocked into silence there because basically Nick provided a very neat and concise summary and we've got nothing to add? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, that sums it up. Yeah. I think we should move on. Four, four, year, four years, Nick, and you're finally getting it. <laughs> He's hitting his stride, finally. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So for reasons that we've explained at the top of the episode, we're going to skip over episode two, Ramble, because we've covered it previously, uh, and we're straight on to episode three, Dating, which is very exciting to me because I think apart from probably the Jill Valentine's Day, I'm Alan Partridge scenario, most of Alan's dalliances with women have been marriage related or, or we've already joined him in the middle of a long-term relationship. We've not seen a lot of him on the dating scene. So this is very exciting. Uh, guys, I just want to say, Please carry on recording. I'm just going to jump off the mic and I'm going to prepare something, which I think you'll all agree is a good bit of fun. There, back in a second. Wow, that's exciting. Um, and ge genuinely, none of us know what he's doing. So, Well, I, I'm going to make an educated guess here because uh, my opening notes start with uh, Alan's dating outfit, uh, which is a, yes. black, a black cashmere polo, black trousers, black boss belt, black shoes, and I've got, uh, in quotes here, looking so lazy. <laughs> yep. Now... 
the rest of us uh, Monkey Tenders hosts, I imagine, remember that Tom Stab has uh, previously sported. There he is. <laughs> previously sported the black polo neck, and there it is. Oh. Just a great gag there that, that no listeners can enjoy. Yeah, no, it's yeah. just for the, you, you guys. Why am I looking so lazenby? <laughs> is it because you're dating a woman with four dog grooming parlors? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've donned my black polo neck for this episode especially. Well, Tom, I've just taken a quick photo of the screen so we can at least share this on socials so everybody can join in the fun. <laughs> Um, so yes, Alan is going on a date with a woman who owns four dog grooming parlours uh, and I think he says she has more friends than you can shake a, sh- a soiled stick at which I guess is a reference to fellow dog walkers and getting sticks to poke your dog muck around. Pretty much. <laughs> can confirm. Um, I also, I, I like that um, they've made it realistic in the APU that obviously one episode in he could now start to receive feedback and messages from people. So Well, he's teased two in as well from... by this point. Yep, yep. So, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. So the first one comes from John in Aldershot on Twitter, who says that men put women off by being untidy, unclean or unkempt. Um, and then Alan gives leadership, decisiveness and important jobs as examples of men's things that women are doing quite a good job of. Did, did you guys know as well uh, that he mispronounces Aldershot origin, uh, initially? He says Aldershot, Aldershot. Yeah, he says Aldershot. The Aldershot, Aldershot. Yeah, I just wondered why they... Yeah. Well, I think why they would keep that in. I think it, it it's it's Draclia. It's are you being served? It's just I think it's become a it's it's become <laughs> a it's become a bit of a trope, it's isn't a it, in terms of mispronunciation? But someone whose surname is Alder, I can um, sympathise with John when someone gets their surname wrong and says Alder. Why would it be Alder? It's clearly Alder. Have you ever had Adler? Oh, constantly, constantly. <laughs> Brilliant. You wouldn't you wouldn't believe it. Um, I, I, I get it a lot, basically. And it's well, I, I, I shared a picture with you guys recently on WhatsApp. I reserved a table at a pub, and the name on the on the piece of paper was uh, Tom Stubb. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And, uh, and, and Tom, don't you often sign off your emails as Tim by accident? Oh, as well? yeah, always. If you yeah, look, all the, the, time, all the, the time. I and the O are next to each other on the keyboard. I have signed off emails as uh, thanks or regards, Tim. Tim. Yeah. Uh, and, and quite aptly for this podcast, I am frequently called Alan. Um, even even when I, it's got to the point where I have to do a sort of dramatic over pronunciation of my name when booking a table or something like Adam Brooks Ad, Ad, Adam Adam Brooks have you got any identification always, always... my face is my identification <laughs> Save it. Uh, so uh, Alan believes that men should be able to look another man in the eye at the gym and say I have a personal or grooming regime what's yours so question to the group I have a personal or grooming regime <laughs> What's yours? <laughs> uh, it depends if I'm going first. on a date, or you know, if I'm just seeing the lads at the pub, or perhaps I'm going to do the, the you know, the shop in uh, Waitrose or a supermarket of my choosing. It depends where I'm going and what I'm doing. Um, there's essentially a tiering system, um, and basically, the higher up the tier, the more um, preening it unlocks, um, including products. Um, so yeah, it depends what I'm uh, doing. What would you say was the uh, number of products reserved for the top tier level of grooming? Uh, it top tier you're talking about um, a number of uh, well it's implements as well because it's about removing things um, then in the shower <laughs> it's it's a number of um, it's a number of uh, products uh, for, for the body Nick, what's the key thing you need to remove well you know just want to keep is yourself it, 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 is it nasal hair perhaps uh, it could be it could be you know there's nothing wrong with trimming your nasal hair and I'm happy to look you in the I eye. Said or wrong. In a, Why have you said wrong? Or, or, or meet you in a gym to discuss how and when I do it. Uh, does anybody like Alan put the hairdryer on for six to eight minutes before they use it in order to get it to the optimum temperature, uh, followed by a dry no. lacquer comb and set? <laughs> and uh, it's there's good. a lot going on, isn't yeah, there? It's nice that he used the words uh, "attack the hair" as well, as if it's something that needs to be <laughs> attacked. <laughs> Also, you know when he says hot shower, you know that shower is virtually boiling hot as well, isn't it? He's yep. essentially trying to disinfect himself on a daily basis. And then if he wasn't hot enough, it's 60 press-ups directly before leaving the house so that his arms are bulked up when he meets the lady. <laughs> I'm curious as to whether that actually works. Like, does it work? I feel like that would just make me very sweaty. Yeah. Oh, no, I've I've read that like things about like I think action, action films work, right? and things like that where the action stars will do sort of like press-ups or pull-ups so that... Um, and I also saw the um, the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary. So they will do mm. like weights before they do photo shoots because it gets the blood pumping and it makes their muscles look bigger and stuff like that. So I think I think that is a thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the ultimate aim of this whole regime is for him to resemble the milk tray man. 
um, which was a lovely throwback to a bygone era. And all because a lady loves milk tray. I think the good thing about this as well is that Lynn has called him the milk tray man. So Lynn has given him a bit of banter back after uh, Alan describing her uh, two big tights, making her legs like look like uh, two Zebedees. Yeah. So good on you, Lynn. She also said he looked like a stagehand, though, as well. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mixed, mixed messages. Um, I thought it's interesting that he talks about how superhero films get on his nerves, but it's quite clear that he's only seen billboards and not actually seen the films. Uh, can you name his four examples of superheroes? I love these. So they get increasingly further from the truth I can, and more ridiculous. I can, I can start if you want to go around. So um, we've got, go we've got Spider yeah. Guy. Uh, can anyone do, remember the next one? I mean, I've got, I've got all of these if you just want me to do all of them. Yeah, so yeah, got, okay, yeah. I, we'll just, let's just take it in turns. So the next one is a super cloaked flying guy. <laughs> then you've got a man with claws for fingers and a sword for a head. <laughs> oh, I thought that was two separate ones. I thought it was, uh, I thought you'd have spider guy, super cloaked flying guy, man with claws for fingers, which I presume is he's, he's clocked a film poster of Wolverine, yeah. and then just sword for a head, which is nothing, <laughs> is it? It's <laughs> just not a thing and would look so I don't know, I'd, probably, I'd probably watch that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I say I have to broadly agree with Alan here. I don't really care for Marvel movies. It, it's not for me. But like, Alan, yeah, have, you, have you seen them? Because he, he does admit he's not seen any of them. I mean, I have seen maybe three. So I've made an informed decision that it's... Enough to know. Yeah. You've yeah. done your research. Exactly. Yeah. Um, a rare bit of humility from Alan where he stresses that he is too old to play Bond. I think that's the sort of thing that a previous Alan would never have admitted. That's a very good point. And uh, we, when he talks about his heroes being the Milk Tray Man and George Lazenby as Bond, I did think, from what I know, isn't George Lazenby widely regarded as the worst Bond ever? So I think it's, uh, Alan's perhaps kind of missing the target a little bit there. And I did look into this and I found a website uh, giving the definitive ranking of James Bond actors. And I enjoyed this little paragraph uh, on George Lazenby. The burly Australian barged into the franchise for film number six, made a real meal of it and then exited again. True, on Her <laughs> Majesty's Secret Service has gained something of a cult following over time and showed us a vulnerable, more emotional and Daniel Craig-like Bond well before its time. But was George Lazenby the right man to bring this vision to life? No, he was not. That is very much the film criticism equivalent of uh, the the car becoming uh, overtaking vehicles becoming a long drawn out affair. <laughs> yes, it is, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Lazenby uh, not getting the great reviews. Um, I also liked that uh, he claims that Alan Sugar can't be Bond because he's Jewish. Which I mean, I didn't realise that was a prerequisite, but okay. <laughs> it was also just good to hear of Amstrad again and to know that uh, Alan was witness to the Amstrad Employee of the Year at the Birmingham NEC. The Birmingham NEC. Maybe, maybe that's how he got his free email phone, as seen in the uh, Saturday oh, yeah. Night. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a nice bit of insight into Alan's dating past. We learned that uh, after Carol, he dated a woman called Hazel. Uh, they named each other after various milk tray products. Um, she signed a card to a businessman from both of them as Fudge Duet, and the businessman turned up thinking it was an invite to a threesome, wearing a Hawaiian shirt. This upset Alan so much, he dumped her, but crucially, he dumped her between Christmas Day and New Year. The classiest time of year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I did enjoy the description that she had a birthmark like a vortex. <laughs> <laughs> um, on 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 the uh, grooming regime as well. Are we to believe that he, he he seems to claim that both him and his date are hairless besides dog hair? Now, well, I don't know if you're about to make the same point that I'm about to make, but he talks about having hair around his nipples like crop circles. Yeah, that, come, that comes in a later episode, doesn't it? So yeah. I think he says he re, he's resorted to just shaving his chest. He also talks in that I'm on a partridge about have, having a ring of hair around each nipple. Um, so Yeah, so I think perhaps he's, he's become more hairless over time by choice. Or he just shaves everything. Well, I, th- I think that's the implication, yeah. which I just thought my note was basically too much information. Alan did not need that image. <laughs> I wouldn't have had Alan down as a ball shaver, to be honest with you, either. That, that caught me by surprise. <laughs> He didn't break that down in his uh, grooming regime earlier in the episode no. either. So, um, Th- thankfully, probably for the best. So he goes into a little detail about how he came to be on this date. Uh, it's primarily through a high wealth, high class dating site called Echelon, um, run by Wilf and Fee, who get to know you and present a tightly curated list of matches. Uh, he seems to be quite impressed with the service. He felt several of them work. Um, although his evidence for that was that he had a relationship for a year where he didn't have sex once. So. I, I did wonder, is, is the implication here that Alan has uh, inadvertently signed up to some kind of escort agency? Oh, oh So perhaps that's why it's been a 12-month sexless relationship, because perhaps he doesn't realise he has to uh, 
pay pay the top tier to get access to I'd that. taken it at face value and thought it was just like a kind of elite singles. But yeah, the fact, yeah, he, same. He, was, the fact he was in a relationship for a year and didn't have sex does tend to suggest maybe yeah, you're I right. I don't know. I, I might be adding two to two and making seven at this point. I'm not sure, but yeah. I did I did find that, that, that section a little bit confusing, though, where he was saying it was sexless, but they seemed to be enjoying each other's company. And then he talks about seeing when they go walking, they put kind of their hands down each other's trousers, and then she goes home and makes him a, a beef paste sandwich. I just thought, I don't understand the need for the hands down the trousers if it's sexless. I just thought it was a bit confusing. Yeah, I, I did love the uh, the mention of the big, uh, the biggest beef paste sandwich you've ever seen. That reminded <laughs> me of the bit in Nomad when he says, uh, "Adrenaline's flying around my body like it used to when Angela said she's made one of her chicken pies." <laughs> it sounds like it's a beef paste sandwich so compelling that it's uh, it's carried him through a sexless year of uh, of dating. <laughs> so it must have been good. Um, he also uh, explains why he won't do Tinder. Uh, it's because people just want to make fun of him and he's hurt by people that keep turning away when he tries to kiss them. Uh, he sounds genuinely distressed at this point. Yeah, 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 he does, yeah. He mentions, I mean, he must have been dating for a while because he mentions he has a page of talking points and practised ad-libs that he likes to do. <laughs> practised ad-libs. Brilliant. <laughs> Um, and then I think we're on to possibly one of the biggest gaffes of, of Alan's this series. Uh, the, not entirely his fault, the huge backfiring of his Stevie Wonder joke. <laughs> so, this, this is, yeah, the, the kind of um, conceit of this I thought was, was, was fairly well conceived in terms of in a real life situation where you to make this joke, yeah. it works quite well. And as Alan yeah. kind of acknowledges, it, it, does, it does rely on uh, the recipient having a working knowledge of the person that's being referenced whether it be kind of Genghis Khan, Oliver Cromwell, or, or Stevie Wonder, and obviously in the instances that Alan references, the individual doesn't doesn't have that information. Yeah, that's an interesting point actually, because I think at the top of the episode, Alan sets out that he's going to tell us the listener how to find love and how to make a date go swimmingly. So I did wonder whether we should review if he succeeds in his mission by the end of this episode. And actually, this icebreaker technique is quite good in terms of having a few different names you could just drop in depending on what mm. scenario you're in. So actually, well done, Alan. Although a lot of the names that he uses in these jokes, Oliver Cromwell, Stevie Wonder, etc., are household names. So the fact that these jokes are falling flat when he's been paired with people from a high-wealth or high-class dating site, I think it tells you a lot about the hollow pyramid scheme that Echelon actually is. And it sounds like it might actually be <laughs> yes. pop- populated with middle-class thickos that think that they're high-class. <laughs> um, he does start to give the t- the, some of the tips that he uh, mentioned he would at the top of the episode. Um, he recommends asking some questions if conversation dries up. And I love these because they're so telling. There's so much like there's so much meaning in these that he hasn't realised. So, for example, he says, if she has a beautiful necklace, ask who bought it for her. <laughs> so, yeah. kind of like, is he trying to establish whether there's a love rival or uh, you know he's kind of like he or, or yeah. also is it just saying that that he can't believe that a, a woman could be successful enough to buy her own expensive jewelry well i think it's i think i think it is it is ultimately that but he he talks about three three things you've mentioned one of them the other two uh, uh if the person has for example a strong roman nose say i like your strong roman, roman nose um <laughs> which i would imagine if you if you have a strong Roman nose, you probably don't want it pointed out. And then he talks about hooped earrings where he's saying finger them. Uh, not only is the term finger them slightly unpleasant, but also I imagine most people don't want you leaning across and touching their earrings. So all three yep. of those pieces of advice, I would say don't follow. To be clear, I wasn't saying all his advice was good. There's another piece of advice which I definitely wouldn't follow, which is uh, like, and also if you're going for a date with Alan, he's probably going to say something bad. This is probably going to happen. And he's like, don't feel the silence. It's their silence, not yours. <laughs> yeah, playing hardball. Um, there's actually two more questions that he uh, suggests asking. Remember, these are questions to ask only if conversation has already tried up. So <laughs> one, one of them is, is that your natural tan or some tinted concealer? But I think my absolute favourite and the one with the most subtext is, bearing in mind, remember, this is a question to ask if conversation's dried up. Imagine you're, you're probably going to have to be about 20 minutes into the date before that happens. The question is, are you going to take that coat off? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, presumably, yeah. Yeah. he's on a date with someone who has realised that they've backed into a minefield, <laughs> desperately wants to go, refuses to take their coat off, and has got to the point where conversation's been going long enough to dry up, and he's still asking them if they're going to take their coat off and stay or not. Uh, the, the next, the next bit as well. Then he's perplexed by somebody asking the question, "What are you up to in life?" 
when he's saying, how do you answer that? I mean, if he's struggling to answer what he's generally doing in life, it's not going to be a good day, is it? No, it's like he can't handle an open question. Yes, no. exactly. Yeah. yeah, he perceives it to be and, and, bad because it lacks in specifics. So what he says he does in response is to ask something very specific, i.e. where were you on this day at this time? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, like a, a criminal investigation. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of his chat as well seems to be about tricking women into a second date. So before they realise it, he's backed them into a corner and they've had to say yes. Before they know it, he's invited himself uh, on a trip to Northumberland to get a book out of a library or to visit a car. Well, you're both going there, so why not? <laughs> well, yeah, quite. Um, I think there's uh, an advert now uh, for a, a few other podcasts yep. that Alan hasn't hasn't necessarily listened to, but uh, recommends nonetheless. Uh, so saddle stories can i can i before you describe saddle stories i I just want to remind you that alan says prior to this uh that he's going to talk about some podcasts that are knocking it out of the park and then he goes on to describe saddle (laughs) stories which i'll hand back to you adam sure so it's uh hosted by norfolk lady riders and uh he says that it's not for him but it's very popular with ladies over 40 (laughs) yeah um how do you solve a problem like Ireland? It's another one that he <laughs> what likes. What do you do about Ireland? How do you separate uh, the good ones from the bad ones? And yeah, they how, speak to an Irish person who's very nice. And is it too easy for some Irish people to travel? <laughs> with, this, with, with a suggestion that you could stop ferries but allow air travel, the subtext there being keep the poor yeah. Irish people in Ireland but let the people who can afford yeah. to fly come and visit. And does he not say sort the wheat from the chaff or something yeah. like that at that point? And yes, he does. I do like that the, the, the kind of like voices of authority on the podcasts are newspaper columnists who are from England. <laughs> that, that's definitely the way to have a balanced <laughs> debate about, about it. Uh, and his final podcast suggestion with an exclamation mark after after it is Recall, the 1973 recall of the Triumph Toledo, a 12-part series narrated by John Stapleton. I like with the uh, Irish one, I think, I feel like Coogan's one of the few com- English comedians that can get away with that. They're like the kind of negative Irish stereotyping because we all know he's got Irish roots. Um, I think other people might might struggle. So I think, you know, even like the Martin Brennan character in this time was very well received in Ireland. And I think just uh, an English comedian with no Irish roots doing stuff like that probably wouldn't go down quite so well. Absolutely. Um, is it time to talk about Alan's aftershave? Oh, Robust. Robust. Oh, I think it is, yeah. Which he designed himself. Um, now, I like when he says designed himself, I mean, obviously the average listener to this will know that there are all sorts of uh, companies now where you can go in and kind of pick pick your top notes and uh, blend flavours and yeah. genuinely create your own one. But it, it emerges that actually what he does is he mixes Dupe, Davidoff, M&S, a Molten Brown miniature and any magazine freebies that he's got to hand, finishing it off with, it a tiny, in. with a tiny sprinkling of powdered white pepper to, to, <laughs> to create his own blend called Robust. This is basically the equivalent of like a student at the end of a house party, isn't it? Like <laughs> seeing what booze is left in the house and it's just putting it all into one glass and drinking it. Absolutely the dirty pint of aftershaves. <laughs> uh, I, I wonder what it would actually smell like if you combined all those ingredients. I don't Not think it would I would think. Mm. No, um, I'd, I'd, and also, yeah. you know, he is absolutely slathering that on as well, isn't it? It's not just a couple of sprays. He is absolutely bathing in that before he goes out. It very much reminds me of, uh, I do like a comedy uh, name for perfume, and it always reminded me of, uh, do you remember Horn from uh, Men Behaving Badly? Tony's, yep. uh, Tony's Choice. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also kind of a bit like a Sex Panther in An- Anchorman as well, isn't it? Yeah. That sort of yeah. that sort of yeah. Oh, and, and any of the fragrances uh, dreamed up by Dennis Feinstein in Parks and Recreation as well. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, It's a comedy goldmine, the scent, the scent arena. Um, oh. I also like the little tidbit um, of him talking about how he likes to dip into GQ, uh, which is a magazine, he says, for guys who need to look good and think about stuff, but not too much. <laughs> yeah. Again, that is that is that kind of like the, the, the writers talking through using Alan as a mouthpiece to have a bit of a dig at GQ as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you enjoy him going into a kind of voiceover mode? Like at the end of episode one, when he runs away from Seldom, gets into the car, he he's then saying, you've been listening to Alan Partridge live. Well, not live. He's kind of gone into broadcast mode at the end of that episode as well. And the same thing kind of happens here. We promised an update on the date uh, coming in the next episode from the Oast House. And I think that kind of rounds things off, doesn't it? Unless there's anything to add. Uh, yeah, I just have one more thing. Uh, there's a bit when he's having an argument with a real pen-pushing anorak about building regulations at the Oast House. And I just thought that doesn't really make sense. He's saying he's had to move out of Denton Abbey because he was financially crippled. But the way he talks about this is like he's built the Oast House from scratch, which surely would not be something cheap. 
Oh yeah. So whether Maybe. that's a narrative inconsistency or just an unreliable narrator, we don't know. That's that sounds like a narrative inconsistency to me. That's why I put my money. Yeah, um, and you've also yeah. got the bit there when he's basically agreeing with Michael Gove saying people are tired of experts, which I think is another very clear example of what we've termed in the past. Alan, yes, Coogan, no. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that rounds us off the end of Alan's dating exploits for the time being. Um, join us in our next episode. We're all going to Lynn's house. Yay! Um, <laughs> Uh, if you want to get in touch with us with any uh, conspiracy theories, uh, jokes, quizzes, polls, questions to the group, or theories or thoughts about this series or any Partridge, we're on Instagram at Monkey Tennis Pod, uh, Twitter at The Partridge Pod, Facebook.com slash The Partridge Pod, The Partridge Pod at gmail.com, uh, and the WhatsApp uh, voice notes. You can leave them for us on the Monkey Tennis Hotline 07923 And can I just add, when Adam says conspiracy theories, not general conspiracy theories it must be alan related we don't want to hear about coronavirus and 5g jed exactly (laughs) yeah Um, yeah jed enough of that stop messaging us uh something i probably should have mentioned at the top of the episode uh welcome to all of you who searched on a podcast provider for from the oast house expecting to find steve coogan's dulcet tones and finding uh, us dad and shids instead (laughs) obviously from the oast house the official adam partridge podcast is an audible original so you've got to go to audible and start a free trial or sign up to access it but uh frankly i'd be amazed that any of you have got this far without having (laughs) listened to the source material so uh so hopefully we're all on board and you can join us next week for a fun trip to lynn's house Uh, but from all of us at monkey tennis the alan partridge fan podcast thanks so much for listening and goodbye 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 i'm gonna go eat some milk tray i think in 200 yards turn right then take the second left in 100 yards turn left get in lane speed camera ahead in 200 yards at the roundabout take the third exit turn left then you have reached your destination and this is the beauty of podcasting the freedom of the medium Monkey tennis? Bring, bring. Fireworks. Don't muck about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis? Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me! Are you being served? Monkey tennis? Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis? Yup, absolutely. Yup, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis? Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey tennis? From the Oast House. Keep it down, love. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.